Well, good evening, and let me invite you to turn to the book of Isaiah, starting in chapter 52, verse 13. Isaiah chapter 52, starting in verse 13. You know, tonight we do meditate on the significance of Christ's crucifixion. And our worship tonight is somber, filled with introspection, yes, but also filled with great gratitude and joy because we gather to give thanks to the Lord for his love for us, even as we consider the extravagant cost of God's love as Jesus endures the cross. Christ went to the cross to pay the penalty for sin, your sin, my sin, to pay the penalty to deal with our guilt to deal with our condemnation. That's why Christ went to the cross. It was indeed our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. It was for our sake that he was afflicted. It is our voice among the mocking cries of the Golgotha mob. You see, as we've meditated tonight on the events of the crucifixion, I'd like to to help us ponder this evening the theological significance of what took place on Good Friday. Because it is not enough to just know what happened at the cross, but we must know why the cross happened. Even though Jesus' followers watching on that first Good Friday, even though they didn't understand that the Messiah's mission was one of suffering, the prophets predicted and anticipated Jesus' suffering. They understood that this was the purpose of the Christ, the Messiah, and they heralded what would happen on Good Friday centuries before Jesus was ever born. So towards the book, end of the book of Isaiah, which we will be looking towards tonight, the prophet, towards the end of the book, begins to predict and herald the coming of this figure called the servant of the Lord, this messianic figure that begins showing up in the book of Isaiah. And his identity is veiled in so many ways, but yet these messianic prophecies find their culmination, find their yes, find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And it is to the most well-known of these servant songs in Isaiah that we turn our attention towards tonight. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, going through chapter 53, verse 12. This is a well-known passage from Isaiah by which he captures the, the why of the cross, the purpose of his afflictions, You see, this particular servant song, if you look at it before you in your Bible, this song is made up of five paragraphs of three verses each. And so this passage in Isaiah uses a common structural device often used by all Old Testament authors writing in Hebrew, a device they called chiasm, where sections of Scripture parallel each other and emphasize the middle point, the centralized point of the text. 
Think of chiasm as a sort of mountain where you begin to climb from one end, you reach the apex in the middle, and then you decline along the other side of the, of the mountain. This is what chiasm does. And I want you to see that in Isaiah 52 and 53 tonight. So before we read the text, I want to give you this bird's eye view of the text so you can see what we'll be discovering from this servant song tonight. So let me give you this bird's eye view, and this is going to guide our meditation on the death of Christ this Good Friday. So if you see in Isaiah 52, verse 13 through 15, we see the servant's triumph, the repulsive but redemptive work of this servant. In section, the second section of Isaiah, we see the servant's suffering, that he is both despised and rejected. We see this in chapter 53, verse 1 through 3. We also see that the climax, the center point of the song, is the servant's purpose, which we see in chapter 53, verse 4 through 6, him being stricken and afflicted. And then as we begin to go down the other side of the mountain, we see again this theme of the servant's suffering, one of injustice and death, before we come to the the base of the mount on the other side of this song, where we see the servant's triumph yet again, crushed but victorious. Now, as we read this text, keep this, this outline in mind. We're going to go through it much more slowly in just a moment. But let's read God's word together. Let's read this centuries before prophecy of what would happen on that Good Friday. If you have your Bible, follow along as I read, starting in chapter 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, His appearance was so marred beyond human siblings and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. 
like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us understanding of this beautiful picture and portrait of the crucifixion of Christ. But more than just a prophecy and portrait, Lord, Isaiah helps us to see the very purposes of the cross, the why of the cross, the necessity of Jesus being crushed on that Good Friday. So, Lord, we pray that you would illuminate our minds, that you would stir the affections of our heart, and, Lord, that we would be propelled to respond with humble and sober gratitude for Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we begin this journey through Isaiah, this servant song, let's first consider the servant's triumph, repulsive but redemptive. You see in Isaiah 52 verse 13, we see this servant figure introduced and, and he acts wisely, the text says, and he will be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. And so you see the beginning of this passage as Isaiah introduces this, this, this servant. It's surrounded in this parenthesis, beginning and end, of this servant who is in victory and triumph. This is what frames this whole servant song here in Isaiah. And though tonight we're going to primarily focus on the sufferings of the cross of Christ, we can't lose sight of the prophesied victory and triumph of Christ in this text as well. You see, the darkness will overshadow the bloody body of Christ on Friday, but on Sunday, Jesus will burst forth with the brightness of resurrection and triumph. So we receive this prophetic promise that this, this servant, Isaiah introduces, introduces to us, he will be effective in his ultimate purposes. He will accomplish exactly the work of redemption that the Father has given him to complete. 
And so the exaltation and triumph with which wraps this suffering servant song as the text centers on his suffering, it seems though very strange to us, doesn't it? Indeed, it seems a bit like an oxymoron. How can these things be? How can this one, this servant who suffers and seems so repulsive in the eyes of the world, how could he be the one, how can he be the servant of God who is high and exalted? Look at verse 14 in the text. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. If you're reading this text and you read verse 13 and you go to verse 14 and you want to wait and say, did I miss something here? Right? I thought this servant was to be exalted and now you tell me his appearance is beyond human semblance? Here's the astonishing irony that Isaiah shows us about the Christ is that the exalted servant is repulsive in the eyes of the world. He is afflicted. He is beat up. He is marred and and bruised so much so that Isaiah tells us that the servant no longer even looks human. It's, It's difficult for us to imagine this sort of suffering. Before the crucifixion, the guards beat Jesus. They beat him. They they flogged Jesus. They cracked the whip with this large cat of nine tails with glass and stone, and they ripped out chunks upon his back. His entire back was an open wound drenched with pools of blood filling in the holes of tissues left from the whip. Crimson blood poured down his brow as the crown of thorns was forced upon his head. And as it punctured his skin, and it was at this point that Jesus was so weak, so frail, so exhausted, so beyond human semblance that he needed help just carrying the cross to Golgotha. And by the time we actually get to Golgotha, Jesus is in such a a horrific state. By the time they nail him to the cross, Jesus hanging in the air, naked, any resemblance of humanity at that point is gone. The Son of God looked more like a butchered carcass than a man at that moment. His appearance, if you and I would have walked up and seen it, it would have repulsed us. Instinctively, we would have turned away and held our noses instead of gazing upon that horror. If our children were with us, we would shuffle our children away from such a gory scene. We would not want their eyes to see it. You see, if we watched Jesus upon the cross, his appearance would have caused our stomachs to churn. It was beyond human symbols, so marred. But yet what is so astonishing here, as Isaiah introduces us to this suffering servant, is that this repulsive servant is the one who brings redemption. Look at chapter 52, verse 15. Isaiah says that he will sprinkle many nations. You see, the language of sprinkling evokes that vivid imagery of blood and sacrifice that were so foundational to the uh, the religion of Israel. You see, the language of sprinkling harkens back to the priest sprinkling the blood of the sacrifice upon the altar, altar, making sacrifice and atonement for sin. I say, this is what the servant has come to do. He will redeem the peoples of the earth. 
And the kings of the earth, Isaiah says, will shut their mouths because of him. That the atonement provided by Jesus' blood will turn mocking cheers to stunned silence. Even the, the powerful rulers of the earth will have slack jaws and tied tongues as they behold the glory of Christ. And with open eyes, they will one day see what God had kept concealed that the kings will hear the truth about Christ with unclogged ears. This repulsive servant of God is the one who will redeem the nations. And as we move our way into the song, we get to this second section where we see more elaboration on the servant's sufferings, being despised and rejected. And as we consider this prophesied servant of the Lord, we are, are foretold that he would be one who would be rejected by the people. Isaiah 53 verse 1 begins with a series of questions. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the Lord, the arm of the Lord been revealed? The answer, of course, is implied to be no one. People would not heed Isaiah's prophecy. They would not understand his message. They would not understand that this marred and bloody servant is the very arm and power of the Lord, encompassing the fullness of God's strength and power and the weakness of Christ. You see, the scriptures make it clear that Jesus is the eternal Son of God and that he enters into creation in the incarnation, and the world would ignore him, Isaiah says. They would ignore him. His own people would reject him. Isaiah makes it clear that there is nothing about the Messiah that would make him distinct. As often is painted in religious artwork, there, there was no shining halo around Jesus' head as he went about and did his ministry. It was nothing that made him distinct. The scriptures make it clear that, yes, Jesus was fully God, but, but he was also fully human as well. well. He was an ordinary man in terms of his humanity. Like a young plant, he, he grew up out of the, the ground, going through every stage of human development, just as Isaiah told us. There was no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. You see, the, the surprising thing about Jesus is that he didn't fit any of the expectations that people had for him as the kingly Messiah, let alone the one that God would send. After all, Jesus was born to a bunch of paupers, Mary and Joseph. He didn't possess this, this lineage of wealth and power of nobility. Yes, he's of the lineage of David, but Jesus is rather plain. He's a son of a gruff carpenter from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? If we could go back in, in time and, and see Jesus face to face during his ministry, we'd find that, that our pictures of Jesus do not fit the contemporary caricatures we have made of him. In our artwork, you would think Jesus was some sort of J. Crew model, clean and manicured, impressive with his appearance, that he'd be on magazines. No, that's not Jesus at all. You see, if you could see Jesus during his ministry, you'd probably be rather unimpressed with his appearance. There would be nothing about his appearance that would draw you near to him. He would be no Instagram influencer. He would be no fashion model. 
There's nothing that would have attracted us about the way he looked. In fact, Jesus looked rather ordinary for his day. So this Messiah came and he was despised and rejected, the text says. He was the Messiah that no one wanted and the king that subverted every expectation. Thus the people rejected Jesus. The very people Jesus came to love, to serve, and to save were the same ones that conspired in his execution and yelled those blood-curling demands for his crucifixion. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. He came to serve, but Jesus was met with mocking. He came to bring peace, but he was met with violence. He came to love, but he was met with hatred. You see, Jesus was a a man of sorrows, as we sung tonight, well acquainted with grief. You see, after Jesus' triumphant entry, a few days before his arrest and death, Jesus would stand over the city of Jerusalem, and he would lament over the city. In Matthew 23, verse 37, he would say, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing." You see, the one sent by God would be rejected by God's people. They didn't understand Jesus' true identity as Israel's Savior, the enfleshed and eternal Son of God. And so as they respond to Jesus, they respond not with acceptance, but with injustice and violence against him. They hid their faces from him despised and rejected, the text says, we esteemed him not. You see, it's easy to to point fingers at the tragedy of Jesus' death and think, man, those people in the first century, they're really something, aren't they? Well, those people are you, and they are me. Have we not done the same as them? Have we not rejected the gospel? How many times? Have you rejected the gospel before you believed it? Some of you are rejecting Jesus right now in this very moment. You have yet to receive him and recognize him as the Messiah and confess him as your savior and king. Let me implore you, do not hide your face from him tonight. You must look upon his sufferings. And know that it was your sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. You cannot repent and believe until you first see the horrors of your own sin and their deserved condemnation. Do not look away from the the cross of Christ. You must gaze upon him, his shame and dereliction, if you want to grasp the vileness and the depths and the depravity of your sin. You see, for Christ has no shame except that which he has taken from us. You see, his sufferings ought to be our sufferings. His grief ought to be our grief. So do not hide your face tonight from the Lord Jesus Christ, but let yourself see and feel the anguish of Christ so that you might comprehend the filthiness of your own heart. And if you've confessed Christ, how many times have you, even just this last week, have rejected him or denied him? 
whether by action or inaction. How many times have you as a believer, how many times have you been like a dog who has returned to his own vomit? How many times have you succumbed to the desires of the flesh? How many times have you succumbed to the, the, the idol of your own lusts? You see, even as Christians, those who have recognized and have received the atonement of Christ, so often our lives are filled with this hypocritical rejection of Christ, of lingering sin. Do we not despise him yet again and again and fill our Savior's heart with sorrow as we spurn his lordship so repeatedly? You see, may the rejection of Christ prophesied in this text remind us of the costliness of God's grace. And may we express our gratitude that God gives grace to sinners like us time and again and again. And that leads thirdly to the servant's purpose, the apex of this hymn. This leads us to consider what is the thematic center of this passage in which Isaiah helps us to understand, right, this theological significance, this purpose. Why did Jesus have to die? Why would the servant suffer? You see, Isaiah is helping us understand the why of Good Friday, the why of the cross. Jesus was stricken and afflicted in our place to pay the penalty for sin, to absorb the wrath of God, do our sin, to deal with the judgment that your sin and my sin deserve. That is why he went to the cross. Notice, notice the language of substitution that dominates these verses here in verse 4 through 6 of chapter 53. Let's read them together. Pay attention to the pronouns, right? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds, we are healed. Do you, do you catch the pronoun substitution going on there? Surely he has borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Notice that, that Isaiah says the servant substitute himself for our griefs, our sorrows, our transgressions, our iniquities. You see, this is the why of the cross that the suffering servant is, is taking the place of sinners like you and me. It is our sin that Jesus is taking upon himself. You see, Jesus at the cross, by his great grace and love, is dealing with our fundamental need and problem, that we are sinners who stand before a wrathful and holy God. And our rebellion against this God means that we rightly deserve his swift justice and condemnation. But God is so abundantly patient. He delays his judgment on us. And he sins by his own great love. He sends his own son to deal with the problem of our sin. And as Isaiah tells us in the text, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We are stubborn. We are prideful. We are rebellious. But yet God's gracious plan of redemption means that Jesus has come to bear 
the sins of the world. He would carry the weight of sin upon his own shoulders. He would take on the judgment and the punishment of God that we deserved. At the cross, the wrath and judgment of God would be poured on Christ instead of you, instead of me. Isaiah emphasized in verse 5, look at what he says. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Look at what he says in verse 6. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What a clear statement of purpose for the crucifixion, for Jesus' suffering the good that would come out of this Good Friday. At the cross, Jesus dies in the place of sinners. This is at the very heart of the gospel, that at the cross, Jesus satisfies God's wrath so that God can, out of the abundance of his love and overflowing mercy, pour it out upon us. Yes, the cross is the most vivid picture of God's judgment and justice. We will see. But it is also the great place where the abundance of his love overflows. As we move down from the apex, we next arrive to this fourth section, the servant's suffering being that of injustice and death. As the passage continues, we get further reflection here on the suffering of the servant. And as Isaiah moves into this next section, we see quite clearly that this sufferer, this servant is not worthy of his suffering. He is innocent in every way. Jesus, as the Christ, as the Messiah, did not deserve to die. The the crucifixion of Jesus was a miscarriage of human justice. Yet even in his oppression and affliction, Jesus never opened his mouth. He never uttered a word or gave self-defense. Through the mockery of that midnight trial to the, the cowardice of Pilate, it's clear that an innocent man suffered on the cross that Good Friday. However, Jesus was not only innocent of the charges brought against him in his trial, Jesus was innocent in every way. He was without sin. He is the only man who can stand before God innocent. Jesus was perfectly obedient to his father in every way. He never spoke. He never acted. He never thought in any way that was sinful or in rebellion against his father. Jesus is righteous. Jesus is the suffering servant who was like a lamb led to the slaughter, the text says. On that Good Friday, Jesus would take his final breath and utter those words, it is finished. And his work of suffering upon the cross was finished. He died a death once for all, so that whoever might believe in Christ might be spared from the consequences of death that they deserve, but instead receive everlasting life. Jesus was cut off out of the land of the living so that we might not be abandoned to the realm of death. Though he had done no violence, though no deceit was in his mouth, Jesus died the death of the wicked. You see, the innocence of Christ is 
what made him the only proper sacrifice for sin. This is why Jesus alone can do this work of salvation. It was his blamelessness that made him the only one who could bear the sins of the world. And at the cross, Jesus takes on our punishment. He takes us on our sin. And in exchange, we get his righteousness credited to us. Jesus takes on the consequences that we deserve so that we might receive the reward that he deserved. He takes on our death and we receive his life. And that leads fifthly to consider yet again the servant's triumph. Crushed, yes, but victorious. See, the passage concludes with this reminder of the servant's sufferings, but it it also points us towards his victory. Isaiah 53 verse 10 makes an important point, one that we cannot miss. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of the Lord. When we look at the horrors and the injustice of the servant's death, we must remember that this is what the father willed to happen. This was his sovereign purpose. Jesus' death was not some unplanned accident, some sort of cosmic miscalculation, some sort of divine negligence. No, Jesus' purpose as the sent one of God culminates in his death. This is the aim of God's glorious plan of redemption. At the cross, the father crushes his son in the place of sinners to accomplish his redemptive plan and saving his church. Our triune God, father, son, and spirit plan together before the very foundations of the world to display his glory through the redemption of fallen human beings like you and me. And at the cross, God would showcase his love and justice his holiness and mercy, his wrath and his grace. And it was God's will to redeem sinners like us through the crushing of his son as a guilt offering for human sin. That's what took place on Good Friday. And you remember, right, how this suffering servant passage begins. Even though the servant suffers, he is exalted, right? He's high and lifted up. We see that anticipated yet again on the tail end of this passage in Isaiah 53, verse 10 through 11. Let's reread these two verses carefully. Look at what the text says. Verse 10, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. And yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. You see, the, the anguish of the, the servant will dissipate leaving only satisfaction behind. Jesus did not regret the crucifixion, but rather he endured it with joy. Remember what the author of Hebrews says? Chapter 12, verse 2 in Hebrews. He tells us that it was for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, the suffering servant predicted and prophesied here in Isaiah, will make many righteous as he bears the iniquities of sinners like us. And therefore, Jesus will receive his reward, 
the reward of fame and glory and honor that he rightly deserves as the innocent and blameless and righteous son of God. And then catch this, right? Isaiah says that the son will then share his reward with us, that Christ will take the spoils of his victory and he will share it with his allies. What an amazing picture of the gospel. Jesus, deserving of all the inheritance of God, possessing perfect righteousness and infinite heavenly riches, he, by his grace, invites us to share in his reward. If we could turn from our sin, and if we could put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you would do that this day, your sin will be covered, and you will receive the righteousness of Jesus as your own, and we will receive the reward of heaven and we will be citizens of his heavenly kingdom. You see, though Jesus would endure great suffering, his triumph and victory was guaranteed. Never in doubt, never in question. Isaiah prophesied about it. Centuries before Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection, that even though Jesus would go to the cross, he would die the death of a criminal, the Lord Jesus Christ would not stay dead. The resurrection is coming. There is a victory to be won. But I am getting a bit ahead of myself, right? You'll have to come back on Easter Sunday as we celebrate the great triumph and resurrection of this suffering servant. But tonight, may we reflect on the sufferings of Christ and the costliness of grace. You see, if you are not a Christian tonight, we are so glad that you are here, thrilled that you are here. And in light of God's word, there is both distressing news for you tonight and wonderful news for you tonight. The distressing news is this, that you, like all of us, are a sinner. That you're not just a person who does bad things every now and then, but the Bible says that your very heart is corrupt and at enmity with God and rebellion against God. And the Bible says that because of your sin, you deserve not just physical death, but spiritual death as well. And you're not alone in this. Everyone in this room is born in this condition. We are born into sin. This is what the scriptures say. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Or to put it in Isaiah's terms, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's the distressing news, but there is wonderful news tonight for you as well. The best news, the good news, that God has sent a Savior, a Savior willing to suffer in our place, willing to endure the shame and judgment of the cross. Jesus moved by the passion for his Father's glory and love for us goes to the cross in our place, taking on our sin so that we might receive his righteousness. The good news tonight is that you can possess salvation by faith alone in this Jesus. That as you consider the sufferings of Jesus tonight for you, let me urge you to ask God this evening, pray to him and ask him to save you from your sin through his son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible gives this wonderful promise that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you are a Christian tonight, may we never forget the extent and the depths of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. 
that as we meditate upon the cross and as we consider its implications, yes, may it move us to tears that God would have mercy on a sinner like me, that Jesus would die on the cross for me, that he would call me to be one of his children and to join us to his people, the church, and that he would allow us to share in his reward and righteousness. This is a precious and blessed Savior that we worship, a Savior who lays down his life for us as we consider the beauty of Christ. May we fall on our face in gratitude. And may we praise him as we consider how the Lord in his great love in Christ Jesus saves wretched sinners like us. All for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we are so humbled. Lord, as we meditate upon the cross, as we consider the sufferings of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for this passage in Isaiah that predicted so accurately, so perfectly, described so beautifully the sufferings of Jesus on that day, but not just his sufferings, but the purpose of those sufferings. Lord, we are grateful that you have sent a Savior for us, your perfect Son dying in our place for our sin. Father, for those of us in Christ, May this good news move us to tears and joy as we hear it yet again and again. Lord, may the realities of Good Friday never grow boring or dull to us, but may each day we be swept up in amazement and joy and worship over this Christ. But Father, I do pray for those tonight who may not know you, who have in their ongoing way rejected you as God and as King, who have denied Jesus as Savior and Lord, God, I pray that you would humble their hearts. Lord, cause them this day to look upon Christ and all of his horror and all of the sufferings of that Good Friday. And Lord, may they see the horrors of their own sin as they see the mangled and marred human being, Jesus Christ, beyond human semblance, fully God, fully man, but butchered for us. Lord, may they see that Christ and may they be humbled as they see the horrors of their sin. May they be moved by your Spirit to behold his love. And Lord, may they repent of their sin this day and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. God, you are a gracious and merciful God. And as we meditate on this Good Friday, we look forward to Easter Sunday, where we'll remember that not only has Jesus died in the place of sinners, but he was risen for the justification of sinners. So, Father, we look forward to Easter Sunday where we can celebrate the victory and triumph of this King. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.